To be, that is the question. Uh -huh. I think, therefore, I am a legend. It's 24 7, 365. Parents advise discretion with thoughts like mine. Empires fall, you should know. Long days and pleasant nights, you guys. This week's guest is Evan Morgenstern. Um, he's a comedian and I writer, and he went to school for journalism, so that sort of thing. Uh, we have a great talk about his life with obsessive compulsive disorder. That being said, we had some technical issues at the top of the show, and that makes the whole audio a little fuzzy. But, but, it's still a good conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. If you enjoy, if you do end up enjoying this, and the other podcasts that we produce here at Wayward Wordsmith, you can go to patreon.com slash Co and donate there if you want. Um, you can also go to waywardwordsmith.wordpress.com to check out all of our other stuff. There's some blog posts that need to be more regularly updated. But I hope you enjoy the talk. And Evan's a cool guy. And he's interesting. He's funny. And I hope you think that too by the end of it. Let's go. So you're a stand-up comedian here in New York, right? Uh, but then, yeah, stand-up, it was just, it, that was really what drew me to all this. And mm -hmm. I got to, I tell my stories, and a lot of it is my OCD. Sure. Right, so. That, that. All makes sense. So, um, you're more of a, a story-based stand-up rather than, like, quips, would you say? Right, right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I just had enough stuff growing up with my family and stuff. You know, it was like it was 420 yesterday. Yeah. My, all my all my pot stories are related to my dad and his smoking. I'm not, <laughs> I don't smoke. My dad does. And just growing up and realizing after a while that when I was 16 and I realized he smoked, because I never did. Yeah. I was a nerd, and uh, my sister had to tell me, "No, that you, our dad smokes weed." I'm like, a lot of <laughs> things are to make a lot more sense. <laughs> That's like, fair. Yeah. Why does he have such short-term memory? Why does why can't he control himself from eating the snacks we have in the fridge? Why? <laughs> you know? like, Absolutely. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. Now, um, and I don't want to be like presumptuous with this, but do you think the um, the desire to do storytelling comes from being culturally Jewish at all? Because I, know, I feel like there's an emphasis on that, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely... And, you know, everybody... I, I feel like Judaism... I, I'm sure that there are people will argue this with me, but Judaism has sort of, like, created the the dad joke type of thing. Where it's sure. Where like, you got, to have, you got to have those quips and stuff, but from that comes also storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, just wanting to be... Uh, okay, uh, my my Jewish dad tells really cheesy jokes. I want to do better than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You want to be better. Like every generation should want to be better than the previous one, and that's how progress is made. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And then like, because it is, from my understanding of it, is like also it's it's 
to me, it makes sense that Jewish people end up being stand-up comedians more than any other, like because it is like constantly about to- telling stories and asking questions, and by their nature, like humor is like kind of questioning everything around you and going, "Well, why is this the case?" Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's funny because you know I do a lot of stuff about uh, my clinically diagnosed OCD. Sure. Um, because and I, I say that because I know it, it's common for people. Oh. I got mm-hmm. a little OCD. I'm like, talk to me when you've lost more sleep on it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I did a uh, I did a set uh, in front of an entire. Um, it was it was like a Jewish organization, uh-huh. and so pretty much the entire audience was Jewish. And I'm talking about my OCD, and I got so many psychiatrist business cards after <laughs> the. <show>. Sure. <laughs> I'm like I, I, I'm. I'm spoken for. I'm represented, but thank you. I will keep this just in case. <laughs> That's funny. But you, uh, you were talking about your OCD, and when did that start manifesting itself? Because, like, the, from my understanding, like, the gene's always there. It's just when does it get turned on? Uh, and that's the thing that I feel like, because um, I've had a, a therapist who said, well, no, this is something that, you know, it's the nature versus nurture thing. Yeah. I think it's a combination. I think if you're, and this is just my theory, I'm not a professional, if you're predisposed to having some kind of neurological thing, uh, that is going to make you have something where we have a society that tells women they need to be thin, so it might manifest Mm -hmm. itself in an eating disorder. Uh, For me, I uh, grew up with uh, my father being just very sort of overbearing and uh, taking the air out of the room and uh, I got sick a lot. My sister got sick a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, it became OCD and it became germophobia. And I know not all OCD is germophobia. Yeah. Trust, I've got I've got plenty of other aspects of it. But looking back, I mean, it's like my earliest memories. I, I can remember doing things that seemed to me like I need to do this, but why isn't anyone else doing it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that makes sense. Yeah, and like um, in regards to the germophobia, like. How does that manifest itself? And it, it was that from a very early age as well, of like trying to avoid getting sick and like, ha- like is it the Adrian Monk sort of style thing or? Uh, it, it you know it, it, it kind of is where uh, I will say uh, when you're young and you don't really know any better. Like I remember when I was six years old, eight years old, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of just you know turning the lot things that didn't quite necessarily make sense in a practical standpoint it was turning the light on and off or it was mm-hmm. um, uh, we weren't even a religious family but i thought like when i go to bed i have to pray yeah and can't i can't stop praying until i'm done mm-hmm. and uh like i peed myself once when i was eight years old wow and I, I was afraid of telling my dad what it was and he's mm-hmm. like you know you gotta go to the bathroom just go yeah like, but, but you know what i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> sure 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 because um, you don't, because you also you don't um, when you don't know what it is, but you know it's something that is abnormal, and I think it goes for a lot of things. Uh, you just you you don't want to tell people why it is you think you're doing what you're doing, and then in middle school and high school, I started getting sick a lot. I mean, like upper respiratory infections every other month, and so I would be missing school, and I was already an introverted kid, and I'm like, so now I feel. Like, I'm too shy to talk to people at school, and even if I wasn't, I can't talk because, you know, I have a terrible sore throat and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that became a big thing where 
I just and this was pre-sanitizer, so this mm-hmm. was and going to a public school of like four thousand people. This was. Uh, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom again. No, I don't have a problem. I just need to wash my hands. Yeah, yeah. that's um, gotta be. And, and that was a huge fear going to college too. Yeah. And that's when I finally decided. And this is I'm dating myself, but mm-hmm. uh, I went to uh, I looked in the yellow pages <laughs> yeah. for any numbers that. And I found a psychologist who specialized in OCD. And so for a while, I just, I told my best friend, I told my mom. And eventually I was just like, you know what? Some of the stuff I'm doing is so ridiculous. Now that I'm starting to try to get into comedy, mm-hmm. I got to use it. I yeah. got to use it. But for a while, you know, like so many things, it's just, you just don't want to, uh, it's embarrassing. It's like, it's embarrassing that these things don't make sense, but you still have to do them. They're just, you just can't, it's like a, a, a huge itch that you just have to scratch or you can't get through your day. Yeah, that that does make sense. And I think that comes, like, I feel like a lot of people, do, despite, like, no matter, I think everyone feels embarrassed and shameful about something about their personality in general. But I think specifically people with mental illnesses, no matter what the mental illness is, do feel that way of, like, there's some weird shame of, like, this isn't normal, I I. I don't know how to communicate this idea because I remember as a as a kid in high school feeling really really anxious and depressed and not knowing how to express that to my peers and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's there's there's a stigma and that's I know you you spoke to you you had Sarah before me. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I was actually on her podcast oh. for a little bit, but yeah, oh. hopefully I'll well, get Sarah I'm, on soon. That she didn't include me, but no. <laughs> But yeah, she, you know, her, her, probably her stigma fighters is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we met. I think we had mutual friends, uh, on Twitter and, uh, that's, that's kind of how we met and did that. And it's interesting cause it, uh, I, I feel like there's so much overlap in the comedy community yeah. and having mental health issues. And as I've also found out, um, I have a lot of friends who do burlesque and there's just, there's so much of where comedy and burlesque and just any kind of performing to just sort of own your issues and just take control of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also like, um, because art by its nature is self-expression and unless you have something that you have deep in you, that you need to, you feel like you need to express that's not necessarily different to other people, but still like it it quote unquote helps if it is. I think that's what drives people to go into the arts. Is like I have something about me that I need to tell people about through a metaphor that is art because I don't want to just go on and talk unless you're on one of these, obviously. Um, and and is, is that what kind of drove you to? Yeah, a lot of it was like, and it's also like it's this fun thing of like, <laughs> I don't know. It's this interesting thing about like being hyperactive in any way, shape, or form. Is you're good. You need to get that energy out and I think performing is a huge release for a lot of people who are hyperactive of like you know just getting it all out and then kind of just that way you can kind of crash but um going back a little bit um when you looked up the the therapist in the yellow books um so you knew it was OCD right away you knew Um, you know started I I started to uh because I I started to hear about it a little more and Mm. it it, it started to make sense to me. It was like, you know what, I think this has to be it. Especially in college, where college is dirty. Yeah. I, mean, I don't care. <laughs> I, I imagine anywhere from, I went to a state school, anywhere mm-hmm. to Harvard, like, 
college people are dirty people. Yeah. And uh, I happen to have also, you know, I'm trying my best when I first went to college. I'm like, I'm going to have the college experience. You got to have a roommate. Mm -hmm. I had a roommate who in my, and (laughs) there was a bit about this, but in my uh, first week, he came home drunk and peed on my stuff. And I'm like, what? He, he was like, on purpose? No, seemingly not, unless he was trying to get me out of there. And this was because I woke him up the next day. I'm like, you know what? You did. He's like, no. I'm like, you peed on my stuff. He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm like, sorry. That's like, not enough. <laughs> this is a box of stuff I'm getting rid of. And, and <laughs> like, like, I try to have the college experience in spite of my OCD. And mm-hmm. it was like, no. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> now it's got to be like peeing on my stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started selling drugs out of the room to total strangers. I'm like, so I'm going to get sick and arrested because. Uh huh. And so I got I got a single after that. <laughs> I was. Uh, and I started in college, I started taking NyQuil when I wasn't sick, but just to trick myself into going to sleep. Yeah, yeah. And then I get up and do all the compulsions anyway. Uh-huh. And I'd go, be going to class. Uh, 8 a.m. class on one hour of sleep and NyQuil, and I had to draw classes, and I'm like, I can't, this can't continue. Wow. I, I, this is, yeah. That is so much. That's, that's a lot. Um, and so, when you started seeing a therapist, what kind of therapy did you start doing? Uh, it was, uh, CBT, Cognitive yeah. Behavioral, um, which was good. It definitely helped, uh, because it, it is, I mean, a lot of there's a lot of help in sort of breaking down uh, why you're doing what you're doing in certain things. It's just unfortunately with OCD, uh, my problem was always that if I found a rationalization to not do one thing, I would th- then my mind would be like, but we need something, so we're going to come up with something else. Yeah. Because um, it's... And that's... It's, <clears throat> No, yeah, you just, it kind of, it's kind of like how when you're hungry, anything will do. Like, you just need some food. You, you need to feed that thing, which is, uh, that's got to be rough. No, and, the, and the, the thing that was so embarrassing, but I ended up having to make it a bit because I just, it was so outrageous, was uh, something I call baby finger death. Where when I had to go to bed and I had to go, I, like, I, I didn't want to get sick. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, all right, I've kind of gotten past that. Well, my mind's like, well, what will make you feel like you need to go to bed with clean hands? And I'm like, well, what if I uh, impact other people? And it mm-hmm. was actual fear that somebody just based on the odds, it'll probably never happen. But yeah. what if somebody broke into my apartment uh, with a baby and stuck my dirty fingers in the baby's mouth and the baby got sick and died? Yeah. And it's all, all for half. <laughs> so, it's so outrageous. Yeah. Um, like my therapists were like, but what are the odds that would happen? I'm like, if you can prove that it will never happen, <laughs> you know, and so uh, that became a thing just because my mind was like, well, if you're not going to worry about yourself, you're going to have to worry about something else. Yeah. Uh, uh, thankfully, it never happened. <laughs> at least that I know of. Anyway. Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that sounds it is this weird thing of, I, I don't think a lot of people do understand the thing of like it'll latch on to anything like and it's like maybe this isn't a great metaphor of like it's also like you know like how when 
It's weird when, like, your mind is made up about something, and your mind makes itself up in the case of OCD. Like, you're not in charge of it. But, like, when someone, like, for example, this isn't, like, I'm not the maybe the best, but, like, if someone's going to be racist, they're going to be racist. They're going to find a way to be, ra- like, if they are just that... If your mind is like, no, I want to be anxious about something, they're gonna find it's gonna find whatever it can to feed that, and that's it doesn't need to be rational. And that's, I mean, yeah, except because the mind is very powerful, mm-hmm. almost more powerful. Like, um, I, I like to joke, like, people say, "What what's going on in your mind?" I'm like, "You don't want to know. I don't yeah. want to know, but I have to because I live there." Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And it is this idea that's becoming very, very uh, popular in like, modern psychology and then also, I think, just in general of, like, our brains drive us, we don't drive our brains. Like, right. like it is one of those things of, like, someone else is in charge of what we think and do in a weird way other than, like, what your, your personality or your self-awareness is, which is a weird thing to think about like i have a little like i have ocd uh symptoms and tendencies because of the of my diagnosis of like bipolar disorder so it's like it's like anxiety plus like a generalized anxiety plus and so um i have like uh obsessive intrusive thoughts and a lot of the time i'm just like well who said that who's talking here i didn't want to think that where is this coming from Uh And how do you, and like, in regards to that, and then, like, the extreme version is the compulsions, and how do you combat those? Like, what are the techniques you use? And, uh, and like you're saying, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've, I've known a lot of people with uh, depression or bipolar who, uh, when you have one thing, you then get, you know, it the, a smaller thing. And I'm not trying to, I mean, I, I for one, would not... Uh, minimalize OCD, mm. but I always I hear when I talk to people who have bipolar or depression or something that's really cutting into their lives, and I'm like, oh, yours is worse than mine, and it's like it's all relative. Yeah, but I feel uh, certain things beget certain other things. Um, it you can have you know, uh, I've known I've known people with depression who become who get eating disorders or become bipolar or something else underneath what they already have. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I see after therapy in college, uh, I, at a certain point, and I was going through, because, you know, stress, stressful situations are triggering. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was going through a big time breakup, uh, and I felt very guilty about it, because I just, you know, I, in breakups, I always blame myself regardless of what happens. And it was so bad, the OCD, that I'm like, you know what, I didn't. I didn't want to do meds if I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Nothing against meds. I just I wanted to try to avoid it, but I ended up taking meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so meds help, but I, I feel like everyone has to do what's best for them. But for me, it's a combination of therapy and meds. It's mm-hmm. uh, talk about it, but also in order for me to even get to the therapy session, I need the meds. Yeah, I had a therapist who's who was like, "Well, I want to try to get it to where you're not on the meds," and I'm like, I, "You don't know." I have, I have the meds. I, I need to get. I need the meds to get through the day. Sure. And it's not. You know, uh, it doesn't undermine what you're doing to help me. It's just a separate thing. Like like he was threatened by the meds or mm. something. Not a- it's kind of like, at least in my mind, like you know how you take like aspirin or acetaminophen when you you sprain, then you don't sprain, you stretch a muscle, like, and so you have to be able to not feel the pain to start loosening up that muscle. 
it's that right. same kind of idea yes. of like there's a base and then we can do the therapy to fix oh, the yeah. thing. Yes. Yeah. And that was um, there was something. Uh, so I was I was on Pax. I've been, I'm on Paxil for the anti-anxiety for the OCD. And then there was a point. There was a few years ago. It was about 2011. Uh, my first marriage, and it was, it was starting to fail. Mm-hmm. My dad was going through a very rare form of cancer for someone his age. Mm-hmm. And I was at my job. I was. You, you start off on review with somebody looking over your shoulder, and it was it was like oppressive. Yeah, and I, like all these things, I I was like I, I told them I had a therapist, but I told the psychiatrist I saw who just you know you see for in New York there's a thing where you see a therapist for an hour and you see the psychiatrist for five minutes to just get your meds. Yeah, at insurance tests. So yeah. I but I said to the psychiatrist, I'm like I I'm crying at work. Yeah, I'm a 32 year old man crying at work. And he's like, let's try Clonopin, and that really ended up helping. Good. Uh, got tired a lot, but you know. <laughs> yeah, um, one of my better friends, he's uh, he takes Clonopin as well, and it works wonders for him. And it's like one of those things of like, and like I uh, I think Pat Oswalt's talked a lot about the idea of like because he's on antidepressants of like it allows you to get out of your own way and actually look at life in a way that's like objective rather than subjective of like through the lens of like either being anxious or depressed and you can just like kind of get through it and go oh no this is fine um that's brilliant i like it because people fear that meds will do the opposite they mm -hmm. will hinder your ability to experience life and I, i i could see where it might happen there are a lot of different meds and everyone's situation is unique to them mm-hmm. but uh, I feel like you got you got to do what you got to do for you, and uh, you know the clonopin. Um, I definitely, uh, <laughs> you know, my 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 wife will say, you know, just uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna drink, or you're gonna do mm-hmm. your clonopin, but if you're gonna do both, let me know because you're gonna fall asleep at like nine o'clock. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of that, like, how does the um how is managing your illness impact your relationship with your wife, if it has at all? Um, I, I, you know, I try desperately hard to not push this on anyone else. And I'll even say for, even my ex-wife was very good at mm-hmm. at least uh, trying to understand and be patient with it. And I think, you know, in all mental health situations, nobody is charged with having to deal with your mental illness but if you're going to be together, you want to be with someone who is patient and can handle it. And uh, my wife, Nicole, uh, bless her, she, what she'll say, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be in a, like a very OCD, very anxious place. And she'll just say, okay, what do you, what do you need from me? And what do you want me to do? And mm-hmm. uh, I almost feel bad because I don't want, I don't want to be pushing it on her. But I also, I feel like that's that's a good connection to have to where you can be like, all right, you don't need to do anything except understand that I am probably going to be uh, indulging a lot of, you know, I'm, I, we're, you know, uh, we're watching TV, but I'm going to be uh, going through half a bottle of Purell on my mm-hmm. hands because that's going to happen or... Uh, uh, I hopefully won't wake you up at 3 a.m., but I'm going to check the stove just because it suddenly hit me that I should. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the thing, at least in my experience, the most helpful thing has been, like, 
just someone willing to listen to what's going on with you. Right, that's it, yeah. And, Try to understand. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Um, so going a little bit back in the conversation, like your comic, um, in regards to joke writing and telling stories, does the um, obsessiveness get triggered when you're writing a joke and things need to be perfect that way? Sure, yeah, absolutely. There's that, and there's... I mean, this is why it's it's sort of funny. Um, I come from, like, my mom's a big reader. My sister's a big reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone I have ever been in a serious relationship has been somehow related to, like, my wife's uh, degree in library sciences. Um, I had a relationship with somebody who was a publisher. My ex-wife was an editor, and mm-hmm. I don't read a lot. And it's sort of, like... The, the running joke, but also um, even just reading something where I feel like, because I feel like, oh God, if I missed a word, I, it's one of those things, I have to go back and reread it, and it will take me a year to finish a 30-page book, and uh, so there's that with the reading and the writing where, uh, <laughs> uh, and this might not even be OCD, just neurosis in general, and, and comedians where yeah. Um, I've had, you know, after a set, I'm like, so how do you think it went? No, but like, how do you really think it went? Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and it's that kind of thing where, uh, you know, she's told me, she's like, when I knew, we met online, uh, she's like, when I knew I was going on a date with a comedian, I almost canceled it. Uh, <laughs> I was like, and this is probably why, because I keep asking you to uh, validate my performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like... I mean, there's a certain point of like, like, I think just every every artist wants to be good at what they're doing and not to waste people's time. So I think it's a reasonable thing, but I can definitely see how that would be exacerbated by the by the condition. And I've learned that uh, I mean, presentation um, delivery is important mm-hmm. because I've done stuff about my OCD where. I've gotten dead silence. Maybe they're not finding it funny, but also because really fucked up shit. <laughs> like, no, 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 it's funny. You're no, no. We can laugh about this. It's fine. I wouldn't yeah. be saying this if you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. And like, I talk a lot about my 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 disorder and my stand up as well. And it is like completely presentational based. Like, if you're making light of it, they'll make right. light of it with you. Whereas if like someone's talking about like yeah, I do a fair amount of jokes of like being depressed and going well I'm suicidal and that sort of thing which is a heavy topic to do but it is oh, like oh yes yeah but it's like one of the, as long as you you're okay with it and as long as you're clearly right. not going through that thing but um in regards to like do you feel any release or a catharsis um in regards to after you perform about your OCD? Do you feel better about having it? Do you feel more accepted? Oh, I think so, definitely. And I feel like it, it um, I mean, for one, sort of gets, you know, sort of, it helps, I hope, to destigmatize it. But also just uh, in my own mind, where if I'm making fun of it, then it kind of takes the power away from it. Yes. Like, you know, a therapist, but instead you're going to, 60 to 80 therapists in a room that aren't going to say anything to you, but uh-huh. now you've just gotten out there and... Yeah, but it is also this thing of, like, you said that aren't going to say anything to you, but, like, also at a certain point, a good therapist's job is to listen and then let you work it out yourself. Right, right, right. We, but, yeah, absolutely. And, like, that's that's good to hear. And 
So, because germophobia and OCD, they also, like, they also, awful, let me try that again, they often go tandem. They're all often together. But they're two separate things. I haven't had a lot of, of those symptoms of germophobia. How does that affect your day-to-day in regards to, like, obviously there's the Purell thing that you mentioned before, but, like, just okay. navigating the hideous landscape that is New York City. Oh, my God. I No, seriously, I... Part of the thing about moving up here was, like, I'm like, wow, I don't know what I... This is going to be rough. Uh, my sister had already lived here. I'm like, can you get them to just sanitize this? <laughs> um, and trying. People don't care on the subway. They will just cough in your face, and they don't... Yeah. Uh, and it... Uh, I mean, thank goodness for sanitize. I don't know, you know, like, I... <laughs> I want to go back in time and bring like Purell wipes to Howard Hughes because I'm like mm-hmm. I don't know how people dealt with this, you know, before. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it's it's kind of I think it's also there's a lot of and I found this in comedy, I found this in sex, I found this in anything. Uh, thankfully, again with the therapy and the pills, it you know it it makes it more manageable, but it's sort of like. Uh, it helps you push through it because mm-hmm. um, I was a late bloomer at sex, and I'm like, well, that's a, a very messy kind of thing. OCD yeah. uh, definitely helped, and it's also I, I feel like if there's an end game, if you know at the end of whatever you're doing, whether it's riding the subway or something, if I know that I can clean myself, yeah, that help. It's still, it's I mean, anxiety inducing. You know, mm-hmm. I still, just every day on the subway where I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to peer on my face because that person kept coughing without covering their mouth. Mm-hmm. I'll do that when I get to where I'm going. In improv, actually, uh, there was a lot of where if there was a scene where I was a character who died and I had to lay on uh-huh. the full black box theater, in that moment, I would just lay there and know, like, there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. But later on, I can clean myself. Yeah. So I'm gonna sit here and sort of wallow in it. Uh huh. Just lean into the fact that I'm like, oh, this is gross. Right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Right. I don't know if I could have done that without therapy or pills, but mm-hmm. uh, it definitely, you know, you there there. I, I think one of the things I conclude to with the OCD is there's got to be an end game, and it, the main thing is also, uh, I just. If um I don't know like there, I had an internship years ago where somebody came in and he's like, well, I was walking around and snow fell off a scaffolding into my mouth, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I would go to the hospital. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, why be walking around with your mouth open? But yeah, yeah, um, you know, there are certain also levels of the uh, germophobia where it's like, okay, some things are worse than others, and some things. I can tolerate longer than others. Sure. Like, what's a what, like? What's an example of something that you you can't just get over right away? Like, um, again, anything where I feel like something has come into my mouth. Or sure. Was, oh, I had my mouth open and somebody coughed or something yeah. like that. I've actually pureled my tongue. Uh, Fascinating. Yeah, sure. It's probably not doing good for my health but uh again one of the one of the things i i do have is a lot of people are like you know you keep sanitizing and it's gonna be bad for 
humanity's immunity. I'm like, yeah, because that's what I'm thinking about. I'm trying to destroy humanity's immunity. Yeah. Uh, Sit today in my shoes and realize how fucking frustrating this is. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, cursing. Um, It's all right. Um, But but also at a certain point of like, and now this is something I've talked a fair amount kind of going off of that of like are you are you trying to propagate the species are you going to try and have kids do you have kids like because i know on my end i'm like i have this weird genetic thing and i don't know if i want to pass that on you know i thought about it a great deal and it, it was it yeah it's tough with mental health issues it's tough um i had a friend who had a history of autism in his family yeah. and for a while he didn't want to uh, go forward because he was afraid of that, but they did it and they realized they were going to uh, work with it. Um, you know, it's it's something where, on a selfish level, I thought, well, you know what, I don't, I, I don't necessarily want to bring someone in who's gonna have these issues. But my wife, who has a very small family, and she's like, she wants to continue the family, and it's, you know, we've talked about this a great deal. I think, I like we do we want to have kids but on the condition i think that we have to be so ready for it yeah and i you know i go to therapy once a week i would go to like extra therapy because apparently you're not supposed to dip kid babies into purell mm-hmm. or, you know <laughs> it's not <laughs> achilles and the river sticks of just they're my kids yeah because the other thing is kids are dirty yeah kids are very dirty um i love my nephews but i feel like i need extra Purell when I go to visit them and I think mm-hmm. uh, you know if I'm going to have kids I'm going to have to sort of get to this I'm going to get sick because they're sick and they're dirty and they pick their nose and they do gross things and it's just it's something that I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for but I don't know how it's going to happen and, yeah. um, I, and I really don't It's if they're genetically uh, predisposed to things, I feel like I, I hopefully can work with that. I think what what's difficult is thinking that like I don't want them to see me doing the things that I, you know, see me checking the stove eight hundred sure. times and picking up habits that I could help them avoid. Yeah, I've had a similar thought of like I don't want a kid coming in going, well, why, why is Dad crying at a movie again? What's going on? Like, right, what's yeah. going on there? Like, is he okay? Or, like, why is Dad all of a sudden too angry and unreasonable? And it's like, it is, like, a weird balance. But also, on the flip side of, like, being genetically predisposed, like, if your kid does have OCD, you're going to understand that in a way that a parent that wouldn't, right. that you're going to understand that better. So there's a flip side of that, yeah. but it is, like, it's weird. Right. It's it's a weird thing to think about. But um, speaking of parenting, and like you mentioned that your dad is kind of overbearing, and do you think that's like other than the genetic switch? Do you think that's where it came from? Of like your dad was very regimented, or it, it certainly um, felt like because I think his overbearing personality led to my being so very um, very introverted mm-hmm. and so forth, and then. It be it, like I felt like I didn't have control over anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it. I, I leaned into. I I have control over the things of you know that you do uh, checking things and yeah. so forth. Yeah. Um, and again, as a kid, going back to that, just 
wondering, like, why is no one else checking this stove? Does anyone else mm-hmm. not fear that the house is going to burn down? Am I the only one who cares? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you just don't know. Yeah. Um, and did you start doing like? You, you mentioned like improv and stand up to try and gain because improv is very freeing in a weird way because you don't know what's going to happen and so there's a certain level of anxiety that everyone has and did you kind of do it as like exposure therapy for yourself do you think subconsciously or um, like I wanted to do that as a form of comedy and also as I yeah as I got into it I was like wow it's just sort of it is freeing it is mm-hmm. sort of like you just, you just kind of have to let go and you just have to go with the flow and uh, you know, it's it's almost the opposite of OCD because, you know, the way they train you at all these places, you are supposed to get out of your head. Just let it go. Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, man, but what if I say something really stupid? And it doesn't matter. You just you have to go with it. As, mm-hmm. as they say, don't think. Yeah. One. And you find the same sort of... And then conversely with stand-up, since you're a solo performer, you're in complete control of the situation in a certain way. And do you think that's what appealed that to you? Or do you just like being uh, funny? Definitely, it, it was definitely, it felt better to sort of... I mean, improv was kind of fun, mm-hmm. but I felt like if I'm going to do my absolute best, I need to be in control of what I'm putting out there. Mm-hmm. And so stand-up became... Uh, these are my notes this is what i'm doing and of course and this is why i feel like i mean i don't know i'm just not good at crowd work because i'm like oh god don't throw me off my routine you know? sure i don't oh, oh okay you're saying something wait no yeah and um do you get the thing or like or the thing i was talking about like you'll get an idea or a song or um a series like a sentence or a series of words just stuck in your head over and over and over again and oh yeah yeah, and how does how do you combat against that? I'm asking for both the people listening to this and also myself because I have no idea what to do with that. Uh, it's I don't know. Actually. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. Sorry, I don't know. Um, it's okay. Uh, I'm not entirely sure with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this reminds me of like another OCD thing I had in early high school where I feel like if I thought something if i thought a bad thought or if i thought of something bad happening i had to unthink it by thinking all the words in the sentence backwards huh and that is excruciating yeah i would imagine wow whoo i forgot about that one that was (laughs) (laughs) and how did Uh, how did the um besides like the constantly like needing to go to the bathroom to wash your hands and stuff like that I, when you were in school both high school and college like did it affect your ability to learn and get through like tests and if you didn't get a test score and like what did it have anything to do with like that like oh i think it was um i i think it led and i again i feel like this sounds like a cop-out but mm. i think it led to underachieving i think it's sort yeah. of if i couldn't do if I couldn't be perfect at everything, then I'm going to try a lot less because <laughs> you know it's the with OCD the standards you hold yourself to. Like if I I can either stay up all I can my I, I figured my OCD would make me stay up all night studying for tests, or maybe I'm just not going to do that and I will be you know a B minus C plus student. Mm-hmm who gets by but also doesn't read all the books or, you know, yeah. 
study as hard as I should. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, two questions that, like, that are kind of related um, sure. in regards to the um, perception of obsessive-compulsive disorder in, like, popular media and culture, because there is a weird stigma to most mental illnesses, but also we went through this weird phase specifically, I feel like, with, like, Monk, and then there's, like, a couple episodes of Scrubs with, um, Michael J. Fox, of, like, really almost glamorizing obsessive-compulsive disorder, and I would just like your thoughts on that, and then also versus, like, the stigma that people have with it, and how you navigate that, and your experience with that. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, yeah, it's great to get it out there as an actual thing. Um, and obviously what it's one of those things where sometimes I'm like, I'm making jokes about it, but that doesn't mean it is a joke. Yeah. You know? And, um, and that's the thing. I think I, I like monk, but mm. I also feel like it's not a total, like, let's just, you know, it's, just a silly kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, and you know I'll watch episodes of Monk and nitpick I'm like well if this then he wouldn't be doing this or whatever uh-huh. um, I haven't actually seen much of Scrubs but it uh, I, I think it's just it's really important that I think people know that it's not something you choose to do it's not just you're being anal retentive it's not um, oh whoops haha <laughs> you know I, I'm like you need to double check how your desk is organized at work. Okay, but let me know when you've gotten to quadruple checking, and mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's funny because I'll and, and I try not to get worked up, but I hear people say like, "Oh yeah, I'm a little OCD too," and I'm like, you wouldn't say to someone, "Well, I'm a little uh, bipolar too," or "I'm a little," you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they do, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> you're not equal well, anything. You either are or you aren't. Yeah, and there are varying degrees, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think people need to just get to know. I mean, I have at my job, I obviously sanitize and clean things a lot. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue, after uh, several years, uh, somebody complained about it. The manager got on my case about I can't use sanitizer anymore, and I'm like, everyone in the office does. So mm-hmm. I filed a complaint, and I, I was like, "Okay, I don't, I don't try to push this out there as being some sort of disability I have. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna like bury it and make me not able to do anything, you know, don't. Uh, I pick my fights, but don't, don't uh, take this away from me or, or dismiss it or minimize it." Mm-hmm. That that all makes sense, and like it is weird as well because like with with mental health issues depending on the severity like they're not like I wouldn't say what I have is a disability because it doesn't generally get in the way of me doing my job or living my life just every once in a while I'm like oh I have to work extra hard to get past this or these are the ways I have to do it but it is it's hard to explain I think to people that it is a serious condition and it's not just like I'm not choosing to behave this way Um, something also that you did kind of touch on in regards to like there's a it's you know there's a degree system and there's a spectrum and it's this interesting thing of like i'm curious to see if the science does change um but a lot of mental health experts are talking about like everything's on a spectrum like there's a bipolar like it's bipolar disorder spectrum now meaning everyone's a little bit of it 
but sometimes right. that just means you're on a one, so you aren't very moody at all. You're very consistent, but like, but in the in that way, it kind of I both I like it and don't I like it because it kind of normalizes it. Like everyone's we're all people. I don't really like it because yeah, yeah. Um, and then on the other end, it's like well, I still need sometimes I need accommodations for it, and not everyone's right. that way. And how do you what do you think about that? I'd like your thoughts. Yeah, no, I definitely I. I... I want people to recognize mental health issues as a thing. And I feel like there's also culturally, um, in the same way that I feel like misogyny exists in uh, mm-hmm. so many cultures, religious or otherwise, um, and homophobia and so forth, there's a stigma with mm-hmm. mental health disorders. I, I know people at my job who uh, are deeply religious or they're from culturally another country where I'm like, you know, maybe you need to look into mental health, uh, mm-hmm. you know, getting therapy and they'll be like, you just don't do that. And it, mm. we need to get to a place where I think, uh, and it's easy to say, cause I don't think it's easy to do, especially, um, I mean, organized religion is <laughs> often I say, and I'm not, I'm not dissing anyone who, is religious, but it's kind of like collective OCD because yeah. I I look at these reli- uh, rituals and I'm like, that's that's obsessive behavior. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. We say so, the certain. I, I, sorry, go ahead. I to where, no, I just where uh, people can be religious, but mm-hmm. let's not beat ourselves up over the things we can and cannot control. Yeah, as it's just because it's frowned upon, or it's you know mm-hmm. you don't do that. Yeah, I like on the religion is kind of collective like it is like we say these certain things we sing these certain songs and we will be okay and that's kind of the something bad will happen yeah exactly and then also yeah it is this thing of like it's it's weird of like there is a stigma around it just even like and like um in an episode of wtf maren's talking to aisha tyler and they're talking about therapy is like people seem to have like don't go to therapy, that means you're crazy, when it's really like, you're just talking about, like, why can't I open up to people? What are these mental blocks that I'm having? So every once in a while, it's like, oh, yeah, you are, you should be hospitalized for your own safety, but that's actually, like, if you're if you're cognizant enough to go to a therapist, generally that's right. not the case. Um, so it is this weird yeah. stigma where it's, like, it's a health issue a lot of the time, and it's also, like, if anything... Everyone should try to get along, and like right. getting the tools from therapy makes you navigate the world better. And people should be happy that you're doing that. Otherwise, you're going to make a big oh, fuss yeah. over right. something that they don't understand. Oh yeah, and a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people who need it the most, not uh, you know severe cases, but a lot of people who need it. Um, just don't they don't go because they don't think they need it or yeah that would be admitting you're a narcissist you are somebody who is being detrimental to the people around you yeah and that's it's hard to look at your personality objectively or like who you are and like that's that's hopefully the goal of any good therapy is looking at the behaviors that you 
agree with and the ones you don't, and mem minimizing the ones that you do. And, like, it, you can get that way through therapy, or you can also sometimes get through it through religion or community building or just, like, strong... Uh, like a strong friend group too, so like there all are alternatives to it, but I think therapy is designed for it, and that's why it's so effective. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I think I mean, if religion, if that's what helps you, then great. But I think there's also, you know, just uh, we question our therapists so we can find the best one. Just yeah. everybody should be consciously aware of what this is doing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and if it really is beneficial or not. Yeah, and whether or not it makes you a better person for your community as well. Because, like, right. it is that thing of, like, you might feel great, but everyone else doesn't like you. Like, oh, exactly. Oh, when I first started uh, taking pills, I was in college, and I was with um, uh, my roommates, uh, who I was very good friends with, and I said, you know... Let me know if you if you see me taking these pills and you see me starting to be absolutely ridiculous in a certain way or whatever. Just let me know. Mm -hmm. you know let me know. I, I, you know, it's not it's not on you to de decide this, but also if you could just give me a heads up if you think I'm being particularly not me. Yeah, and in a bad. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, <laughs> and I, I've talked to a fair amount of people about this idea lately of like. You don't get to decide whether or not you're an asshole. Everyone else does. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's, yeah, like, uh... like too bad. Like, because I remember I got into a fight with a friend. I'm like, quit acting like a dick. And he's like, I'm not a dick. I'm like, you don't get to, what do you mean? Right. You right. don't get to decide that. Right. But yeah. Well, no one says, you know, they're a dick. Yeah, like, you know, you know, Nazis think they're fine. Like, what are you talking right. about? Exactly. It's a matter of uh, it's empathy and trying to see other people's things. And going back to the thing about the relationship thing, where if you're in a relationship with somebody who can empathize, they don't need to completely get it. They just need to know this is happening for a reason, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not you're wrong. Stop being like this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so uh, also. We're we're about an hour, so I kind of want to wrap up. But um, sure. do you? So you work with Sarah at Stigma Fighters, right? Or uh, yes, yeah. What's your? Uh, we, I I I'm a uh, I guess a regular on her podcast, and I try to you know help out with whatever I can. I mean, mm -hmm. she is amazing with it. She does this wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the like the company and the goal and like your capacity there, just so like people get a little bit of a lowdown? Because hopefully I'm oh, gonna have Sarah on later, but we'll see. Oh, she. <laughs> oh no, she. Um, you know, she has these books with people's stories where it sort of it humanizes it, as, mm -hmm. as you said, it normalizes it in a good way, and it's it's about making sure that people see like people you might not even expect. There's stuff going on. Uh, instead of just blowing it off or saying, well, I don't get that, try to understand, mm -hmm. try to get. Um, and that there's a lot of people who have a lot of different things. And, it, it, you know, we need, to, we need to have patience and compassion for each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, and also, you're a comedian around town, so if they're in New York 
where can they see you next and that sort of thing. Uh, well, uh, right now, so I'm uh, not doing as much stand-up, but uh, doing a podcast, uh, another podcast, not just uh, yeah. of, uh, Sarah Fader's book. Uh, also with my friend Darren Patterson, we have The Virgin Chronicles, where uh, comics and storytellers talk about a first time. doesn't need to be necessarily mm-hmm. about sex to be a first <laughs> anything. Sure. Uh, we're doing on uh, May 12th, uh, that afternoon, uh, we're doing uh, The Virgin Chronicles at uh, Brooklyn Colony. Awesome. Um, and actually, it's Mother's Day weekend. My mother will be up, so she'll be doing a first-time story. I've absolutely, I've told her absolutely not about sex, but <laughs> great. That's wonderful. Um, Another therapy thing that I would have to go to, um, <laughs> to therapy about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I had a week. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then. Um, do you like a website? And I'm going to put in the web, uh, the show notes. So like, do you have a website, or like, where can people find you on Twitter and stuff? Uh, I am FNJMO2 on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I am, and uh, website's a little uh, wonky right now. But if you sure. go to, I, you should be able to go to EvanMorganStern.com to get to my Tumblr, which I've been neglecting. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming and having a really good chat, um, and oh, that we yeah, that we can we finally found a time. I'm really happy about it, and I hope to see uh, you around soon. And uh, I'm glad we got the tech going. <laughs> I yeah. got the tech. Absolutely. Enjoy the ride.